This is Blue Dreaming, and I'm happy to join this podfic project. Chapter 7 This is the Miradora Dam section. Fris, daughter of Ais. Fris was the daughter of a wealthy guildmaster, Folgar, and his musician wife, Ais. She did not have the height of the great Longbeard families, being only four feet four inches. Her hair was wheat gold and her eyes a very striking blue. She was exceptionally intelligent, very perceptive and shrewd, but also extremely compassionate, though she had a tendency to daydream at times. Her craft was wire-working, and she also made strings and cords for instruments. She married Thrain, son of Thror, quite young, and bore three children, the two eldest of which inherited her blue eyes. Her great joy was her harp, a joy she passed on to her oldest son, Thorin, and her daughter, Thys, her middle child, Prerin, preferred the fiddle. Fris was killed when the dragon attacked Erebor in 7770 TA. for Gimli's hundredth birthday had been lavish. Gloin spared no expense for his beloved star, and the gifts were everything a young warrior could want. Thorin made a special point of witnessing the lad's celebration. Fili and Kili spent all their time gawking at Gimli's, and Fredin did not but complained that he couldn't drink the very fine spirit Bobo had sent from the Shire for the occasion. Bifford was entertaining himself by walking through people. It was a very unnerving sight. Balin gave him a fine new brigandine, the shoulders decorated with golden plated mail, the links embossed with the ancient patterns for the line of Durin and for the long beards. Gimli's eyes glowed with appreciation at the work, and he put it on immediately. Dwalin gave the lad a helm to match, with fierce cheek guards and golden knotwork. Dane gifted him a full hubric of steel mail, and Gimli exclaimed loudly as he lifted it. It was no new work. The mail was obviously from the treasure of Thror. He eventually found the maker's mark and sat down sharply. It had been made by none other than Nain to his royal ancestor. Dis handed it to him, as Dane could not leave the evening audiences until much later. I cannot accept this, he breathed. It is too much. You can and will, little star, Dis said, shaking your head affectionately. You would be foolish not to. Now here is my gift and Mahal's blessing on your naming day. Thank you, Aunt Dis, he said, dazed as he accepted it. The bag fell away to reveal a pair of very familiar throwing axes. He looked up, his eyes wide and white. She smiled. Feely would like you to have them, no doubt, she said. Behind her, Feely's shoulders straightened. Yes, he'll use them, he said to himself. They'll serve him well, I think. Gimli looked back down at the axes, and then carefully slipped them into his boots and stood. Thank you, he said, and swallowed. Don't try running with him for too long, Feely said to his cousin. You'll scrape all the skin off your ankles. 
The Reed brothers had banded together and made him a beautiful warm woolen surcoat with a matching pair of trousers. The stitching round the edges was hardy and strong, and the color was a warm rusty brown that made the red of his beard appear brighter. Thank you, Gimli said, and held it up to admire the gold thread interwoven through the edges. Here now, said Bomber, this is from all us. His wife, Alaris, was a tanner, and she had made Gimli a tooled leather belt with cross straps for the new throwing axes. Gimli made a wordless sound of delight as he pulled it on over his new brigandine and belted it firmly. You have all been leave with each other, I see. Now I am kitted from head to toe. Not quite, my son, said Gloin with a fond smile. Here. Gimli's face lit up with joy and love when his father handed over his axes, with his blessing. Truly, the lad? Well, he could no longer in any way be called a lad, breathed. Wield them well, my son, Gloin said, and bent to press his leonine head against Gimli's. Proud of you, Nidoi. Thank you, Adata, Gimli said in a voice that was tight with pride and happiness. Thank you. Gimdis, ninety-two years old and as stunning as the sun, made a noise in the back of her throat. Well, here, she said briskly, handing over a package. I made it. Gimli took the package and unwrapped it carefully. Revealed was an exquisite glass goblet with Gimli's name etched on the base and kirth, and a pattern of stars around the rim encrusted in diamonds as small as the tip of a needle. Gimris, he said in awe, you made this? She bristled. What, are you calling me a liar? No, no, he laughed, and tugged her close for a hug. It is glorious, a masterwork. You could gain your mastery with this, and you gave it to me? Well, she said, uncomfortable in his embrace, I suppose you're not completely awful. He rolled his eyes, and then he leaned in and kissed her cheek. Namadith, you're not always a brat. That's as close as I'll ever get, I suppose, Misim said with a sigh, dabbing at her eyes. Gimli held up his goblet proudly. Do you see what my sister has made? Isn't it remarkable? Now there's a piece of work, said Bomber. Look, Alaris, come see what Gimli has. A moment, dear. Albuda has gotten into the roast boar and is trying to make himself sick by eating the whole thing himself. Alaris called back cheerfully, bustling after her brood. Albur, son of Bombur, get yourself down here this minute. It's a fine piece, Miss Gimris, said Bombur, giving her an awkward little bow. It was becoming harder and harder for poor Bombur to walk. His injury and age were beginning to catch up to him. Eventually, Thorin feared, the large, friendly dwarf would become restricted to a chair. My lad, Oin roared effusively, coming to grab Gimli's shoulders. It seemed he had been sampling the ales a little too freely and his beaming face was flushed. He weaved on the spot as he stood, his knees loose and wobbly. Nidoyel, may your beard grow ever longer and longer, my nephew, Kuzbelkun, our grumpy little Gimli. A hundred years old! Ah, Gloin, Mizim, you remember the day this one came a squallin' into the world? I knew then we'd have a fighter on our hands. And what a voice! A set of lungs on the baron that echoed even in my ears. Aye, and is that why you dropped him? Gloin said, his eyebrow arching. Mizim folded her arms, her eyes glinting rather dangerously. Oin let go of Gimli's shoulders like hot coals. Ah, er. Oin dropped the baby, said Bombur incredulously. Aye, right on his precious wee head. Lucky he's a dwarf, or it could have hurt him. Lucky he landed on his head, you mean, Gimli said. Did the floor tiles crack? Gimli scowled at her. He wouldn't stop wriggling, Oin said. I hadn't delivered a baby before. He was the first. I was nervous. Mizim made an incredulous noise at the back of her throat, and both eyebrows lifted almost to her hairline. You were nervous? All that red hair, just like our ma, Owen said, his face creasing fondly in remembrance. He weren't impressed with his first look at the world, and he sure let me know it. 
What a set of lungs. All right, you can stop now, Gimli said crossly. You pair were no help at all, said Mizim, shaking her head and laughing. You hadn't finished with me, and there you were dropping the baby. Gimli rolled his eyes to the ceiling before covering his face with both hands and groaning loudly. Poor little mite dropped on his head, and Mizim swearing blue streak and all, and glowing about to faint with first-time jitters, Oin crooned, patting the mortified Gimli's cheek. Still, it didn't faze him at all. He just roared at me some more, and when I picked him back up, he straightway soiled himself all down the front of my apron to teach me a lesson. Kili and Fredin caught each other's expressions and exploded into howls of laughter. Please, Gimli said very stiffly, stop. Gimris was trying in vain to muffle her snickers by biting down on her hand. Gimli scowled at her. You wait till it's your turn. Eight years, sister. Watch your back. Aye, not long till you've reached your centenary, little lass, said Gloin, smiling at her. She tossed her head. If you tell such stories about me, I'll put an emetic in your food. Tell such stories about who, Bofford said as he came towards them, smiling. Did I miss a joke? About our fiery last year, said Oin, my niece, Gimris. Oh, right. Forgot you had a... Bofford trailed off as he turned to Gimris, and his eyes widened hugely. Niece. Gimris eyed Bofford right back, her lower lip slack and her usually sarcastic expression strangely young and open. Gloin and Mizim both took a step back, eyes narrowing. Bumbo's mouth dropped open in astonishment as the two continued to stare at each other. Kili glanced between them, and then he whimpered, Oh, no! Owen carried on blithely, Oh, I, she's a glassblower, you know, and she's been working with me at the healing school. A right proper apprentice she is, and, of course, I don't need to pay so much for the glasses and jars we need, which is not to be sneezed at. A penny saved is, well, it's saved, and that's good, eh? Your niece, Bofur said his voice oddly weak. Gimris, I... Oin squinted at Bofur. I'm sure you've met. Gimris nodded her head. Yes, we did, she said, and she bit down on her lip. I was a child. He laughed softly. You beat me at Conkers. She laughed too, her cheeks faintly reddening. You look different. You're not in your traveling things, he said, and then he smiled. You grew up. She dropped her exquisite eyes. I'm ninety-two now. And I saw her first, Philly snapped. Thorin, tell him to keep his scrubby hands to himself. Thorin shook his head. Not for all the world. If you do, Bifur added, his face alive with gladness, I will knock out every one of your teeth. Bofur's breath caught, and then he smiled, though there was no happiness in it. Well, it's a celebration to remember, don't you think? You must be proud of your brother. Hope you've been able to chat to someone more interesting than these old men. You're not old, she said quickly. Too quickly. Hundred and sixty-one, Bofur mumbled still staring at Gimlis, old enough. That's not old, she said, smiling gently at him, her lovely face aglow. Kus tada bijebi, I see thee, mood, oshmaki, thi zurkur, ukvashahu. Oh, never thought I would live to see the day, Bifuri said happily. You didn't, said Fili, sourly. Oh, hush, Thorin told his grousing nephews, a lump in his throat. Bofur is falling in love, his dearest wish, and they have the time to be together. That is no small thing. Fili looked back at Thorin, and then his eyes softened in understanding. What in the name of Durin, Gimli said to himself, his nose wrinkling. Then his breath caught, and he looked back at his sister in shock. Don't interfere, Thorin said to him sternly. This is something Bofur has longed for. I would see him happy. Gimli made a confused little sound under his breath, and then shook his head and wandered off in search of his friends. Do you want a nail, then? Bofur blurted. 
and then he pulled his hat down over his eyes. Mahal save us, that was embarrassing. Oh, I'm babbling something awful. Don't listen to me. She laughed again and took his arm, threading her hand through the crook of his elbow. No, don't be embarrassed. You're ridiculous. He groaned. She pinched his elbow and smiled gently. And it's charming. I like it. Bofur made a squashed animal noise, and Thorin chuckled. Gimnes chuckled as well, though she sounded rather nervous. She tipped her vibrant head, her eyes shining and her cheeks still tinted pink. Um, Bofur, I, I'd love an ale, please. Bofur peeked out from under his hat to gawk at her hand resting upon his arm with a stunned expression, and then he smiled so brightly that Thorin actually ached to see it. As Bofur led Gimnes away to the barrels, he sighed deeply. At least one of us will see their wish fulfilled, my friend, he murmured. I wish you all the luck in the world. You sentimental old thing, Thorin snickered, poking aside. Thorin ignored him with as much dignity as he could muster, which was a lot. Gloin drew Mizim aside. Did what I just think happened actually happen? You've got eyes, she said under her breath. Yes, our daughter is diving headlong into courting faster than a dropped hammer, and you, you old bear, are going to respect her wishes and leave Bofur alone, do you hear? I wouldn't hurt him, he protested. He's of the company. I just, I just scare him a little. You won't shame our daughter that way, she hissed. It's her life to do with as she pleases. We'll support her. Bofur is a good dwarf. Great Mahal, Gloin. You've known him for forty years. He's seventy years her senior, he grumbled. And that's nothing. Alidis is forty years older than Bombur. For heaven's sake, King Dane is that much older than Queen Thira. I don't like it, Gloin said, and aimed to glare in Bofur's direction. You don't have to, she said, and pinched his cheek, turning his head back to face her. Gimnis does. I know you're a protective old bear, Gloin, but you're going to have to let go of her eventually. He scowled, and then he sagged. I just didn't think it'd be so soon. She's been of age for twenty-two years, you sweet old fool, Mizim said gently. Come now, today it's for Gimli. We can forge the path for our daughter another day. Gloin took her hand and kissed it, before tucking it against his chest. Aye, he said heavily, aye, my jewel. Then he grunted, better Bofurder than a few others I could name. That's the spirit, she said, and kissed him. Thorin watched them glow, and then his attention was caught by a crowd of dwarfs, all whispering in hushed and excited voices, their heads close. Gimli was amongst them, drinking ale from his beautiful new goblet. His old teacher, Nali, and his dear friend, Loni, were also with them, and Loni's new husband, Frad, was a silent rock at his side. To Thorin's surprise, Odi was also there. The scribe was very rarely free of his many duties to Dane or to the records. Dane must have given him the evening to attend the celebration. Floy says that their numbers are much reduced, one of them was saying as Thorin approached. We could take it back. Imagine it. Gimli frowned. The battle was nigh forty years ago. This was waved away. Dane will not give us leave willingly, said another. But I hear Lord Balin means to start a colony with whomever will go. Thorin's blood froze in his veins. The orcs can't possibly have repopulated the misty mountain so quickly, Farad said in his deep, quiet voice. We must take this chance to seize what is ours. How many are going? Gimli asked. About sixty, sixty-five so far, said Nali, the old white-haired training master. Too many, Thorin whispered. One dwarf is too many, let alone sixty-five. Gimli frowned. We have Lord Balin, said Loni with satisfaction. Where he leads, many will follow. Everyone knows how wise that one is. Except when he lets his damn fool love his traditions get the better of him, Thorin said, his anger rising. Are you all set on it? Gimli asked, taking a sip of his ale. Aye, said Nali. Gimli's eyebrow shot up. 
Ori? I'm going, Ori said calmly. He was a little changed physically from the dwarf who had blustered and fretted in Bilbo's dining room so long ago, but his manner was vastly different. This Ori was less innocent and a great deal more confident. Thorin wished that one had not come at the expense of the other. It's an opportunity a scribe and historian can't possibly pass up. It would be something indeed to see the wonders of Kazadum, said Gimli thoughtfully. No, cousin, Thorin all but shouted, do not go to that cursed place. The wonders we'll see, said Loni wistfully, walking in the footsteps of Thorin himself. The endless stair, the seven levels, the seven deeps, the halls of feast and forge. The Balrog, Thorin spat. Gimli's shoulders tensed. Hi, but what of Durin's bane? Many faces blanched, but several dwarfs scoffed loudly. An ancient thing long turned to dust. We have naught to fear from old tales. We were claimed to Erebor from a dragon, Ori said, the corners of his mouth tilting. Thirteen dwarves and a hobbit. I learned, you know, what it is to have a cause and the nerve to back it. You just need to get a bit of iron in your spine. Ori, Thorin said helplessly, and then he scrubbed his face with his hands. No, not Ori, youngest of us all, little Ori in knitted gloves. Ori, you are but a hundred and eleven, I cannot. Ori in Moria, your brothers. Krar? asked Nali, his old white chin thrust out in challenge. Where Loni goes, I go, Krar said simply. Gimli, will you go with us? Loni said, grabbing Gimli's arm, his eyes alight with excitement. Just think, we will reclaim our ancient home, you and I. Kinsmen, Thorin said wretchedly, please, Gimli, please. You have only just reached your first century. I would see you reach another naming day. I would see you reach a grand old age, and find the peace and happiness I could not. Gimli, son of Gloin, you are his star. Your mother and sister would weep. This would be devastated. Gimli, Ikus, please do not do this. Please, pride is the most foolish of reasons to die. Gimli's head lowered, and he took a deep breath before letting it out slowly. I do not fear the darkness, he said. I do not fear the deeps of Moria. I would look upon the endless stair with my own eyes, and see the halls of feast and forge and gaze from the bridge of Khazadum into the unending chasm. Then come with us, Loni said. Frad and I will go, and Odi will join us. Floy is coming, and Nali. I hear Balin is even trying to recruit some others of the company. It just needs you, Gimli. We could do it with your axe and your laughter by our side. Gimli wetted his lips, and Thorin's heart pounded loudly in his ears. Cousin, he said again. Cousin, I would not see you lose your bright young life and wake in these cold halls. Not again, not if I could help it. You are dear to me, Azagith, little warrior. I could not bear to see you die. It was a sobering realization. He was fond of Gimli, and the thought of losing him was a hammer blow to the stomach. The lad had first been simply a curiosity, a brash, loud, boisterous youngster who heard Thorin's voice better than any other dwarf, and there ended his use to him. Then Thorin had found him distracting, a bomb against the crushing boredom of death and the depressing gloom of newly reclaimed Erebor. Then he had been amusing, and Thorin had begun to look forward to his antics and merry laughter. At some point in those thirty-eight years, Thorin had come to love the lad. He had watched him grow from an impulsive and rambunctious adolescent to a poetic, insightful, witty, faithful, and steady Doro. Gimli was dear to him. He could not be proud of his achievements if he had accomplished them himself. Gimli, Thorin said in a low, pleading voice, Inudoi. Gimli took another sip of his ale and licked his mustache clean. Then he set his goblet down on the table and turned back to Loni. I will stay here, he said fondly. Perhaps one day I will visit your colony, but my heart still belongs to my family and to the mountain. After all, is it not mine? It's got my name written at its peak. I can't very well leave it for some other dwarf to claim. 
Loni looked disappointed. I cannot convince you. Your uncle seems interested. Aye, well, my uncle is more than a little deep in his cups, Gimli laughed and clapped Loni's back. Ask him again when he is sober. Not long after Gimli's name day, Dwelling was completely blindsided by a proposal of courtship from his deputy, the stony, severe Orla. He had been so surprised he had actually said yes. Foden was mystified. He never would have considered his old friend and cousin as a prospective partner to anyone at all, and had long thought Dwelling totally devoted to his warcraft and soldiery. At first glance, Orla appeared much the same. She had a dark, grim face, which showed no signs of ever smiling, rough warrior's hands suited to wielding an axe or spear, a shock of wild black lock hair tied in a utilitarian top knot, and a level stare that could cut through steel. To Thorin's astonishment, they appeared to be quite content. Neither was terribly demonstrative, neither liked to waste words, and they were both dedicated warriors. Together they were quiet and tender, compared to the steely stern mask they had to present to their soldiers. One of Dwalin's troops made the mistake of joking about the relationship. No one made that mistake ever again. Upon a cold night, three years after Gimli's centenary and almost forty-one years after the death of Smog, Thorin entered the pool of Gimlin Zadam to sit by his dearest friend's side. He could not reach out and steady Dwalin's shoulder, but he hoped his words could reach out and steady his nerves. Strength to you, Dwalin, he murmured. My right hand, you have never lacked courage. It will be fine, you'll see. Dwalin bunched his tattooed fists against his knees and stared at the fire, unmoving. Finally, Owen pushed the door open with his shoulder, his eyes twinkling behind his glasses. All right, you can stop your fretting. Here's who was making all the commotion, he said, smiling. Dwalin accepted the squalling bundle, his huge hands awkward and shaking, his face odd and white. Owen patted his shoulder. The healthy boy, he said simply. Dwalin's one good eye began to glisten, and his face began to crumble as he stared down into the face of his son. Congratulations, my friend, Thorin said. He's a handsome lad. Thank goodness he looks nothing like you. Dwalin looked up. Orla? She's fine. Recovering beautifully, Oin reassured him, and Dwalin looked down at the boy again. His hands trembled as they examined the tiny little hands, the downly little chin, the squashed nose, and red face with its soft, chubby cheeks. A shock of dark brown hair graced the baby's head, almost reminiscent of Dwalin's old mohawk. Hello, my boy, he said softly. Hello, Thorin, son of Dwalin. Oh, you did not said Thorin in disgust. Five years after the birth of wee Thorin, as he was now commonly known, Nordi died. It had been sudden, a game in his tavern went awry, and with his missing leg he did not move in time. The iron-fist dwarf plunged his knife straight into Nordi's throat, and he died almost immediately, a look of shock and irritation on his face. You bloody stupid noble twit, were Nordi's first words to Thorin, and he lowered his head and laughed softly. Aye, guilty as charged, but at least I wasn't killed over a rigged game of conquers. Don't mention that game, Nori snapped, and then reached out blindly to grasp Thorin's hand. Thorin took it firmly, and then dragged the thief into a hug. Welcome, Nori, son of Sori. Tash, Beefwood snapped, and then launched himself at Nori and wrapped him in his arms. Nori gasped as all the air was knocked out of him. Mahal below, what the, he choked. Beefwood, hang on a bleeding second. Let a body get its breath back. He's a little excited to see you, said Philly dryly. Nah, really? Do tell, Nori managed. Do you think he'll do that to each one of the companies they arrive? Kili wondered. Yes, Beefwood said emphatically. I will, and stop talking about me as if I weren't here. Wait a mo, he's speaking in Westron. He does that now, Kili said. It's getting him to stop, that's the trick. Hello, Nori. Hello, my likely lads, and don't you sound fine. 
I don't suppose you two boys can tell me where a dwarf can find a tavern in the afterlife. Dying really takes it out of you, and I'd like to put it back if you get my drift. Everything you could ever want is here, Philly said expansively, slapping Nordy's back. Nordy made to brace himself, but then seemed to remember that he had both legs and relaxed. Except the obvious, Gilly added. Well, I'd like to take it back to all my lovely money. Me dears, I seem to suddenly be a little embarrassed in the old funds department. You wouldn't begrudge your old mate Nordy a drink, would you? Thordine rubbed his temples, understanding Dodie's frustrations for the first time. Nordy was picking Beefort's pocket by feel, even as they spoke. Not even dying could change him. Dead? Yes. Retired? Never. There was a surprise in store for Thordine the next day when he paid his regular morning visit to Bilbo. Who in Mahal's name is that? he snapped the minute he laid eyes on the young lad. He was barely grown, probably still underage, and his curly hair was quite dark, though his complexion was very pale. He had large blue eyes and a vaguely sad air. Two heavy bags were looped over his shoulders. Frodo, Bilbo said, leading the way into bag end with a satchel in his arms. Frodo, my lad, did you want to choose your room first? The young hobbit nodded silently and followed Bilbo through the smile toward the bedrooms. Thorin followed, fuming. Is this one all right, the boy said, opening a door. Bilbo beamed, the wrinkles around his eyes crinkling. Thorin wanted to trace them with his fingers, to kiss them and feel them pucker beneath his lips as Bilbo laughed. He wanted to know who that young whelp was, following Bilbo around like a lost puppy. Anyone you like, dear boy, Bilbo said. That one is a particularly good room if I do say so myself. It was mine until I grew up, you know, and has a tremendously useful loose floorboard underneath the bed. Good for all sorts of things, that. The boy looked confused, as though hearing such things out of the mouths of adults was not something he was used to. You don't mind me having a secret hiding place? Heavens no, Frodo, my boy. I have so many secrets they positively leak out of my ears. Why in the world would I mind you having secrets of your own? Come, Nan, put your bags down, and let's see about eleven seas, shall we? Frodo put his bags down on the bed gingerly. Thorin scowled at him. Bilbo tossed the satchel onto the bed, almost as an afterthought, and put a friendly arm around Frodo's shoulder. Now it might be a bit quiet here after Brandy Hall, I'm sure. There's only me, and I'm an odd old duck, and very set in my ways. We'll just have to get used to each other. Frodo was staring with puzzled fascination at all the maps and pictures on the walls as Bilbo led him down a corridor. Thorin stamped after them, his face a thundercloud. "'What's that?' Frodo said, awed, as they turned a corner and a picture of Rivendell was revealed directly opposite. "'Hmm. Oh, that's the Valley of Imlages, my boy. I used to visit now and then. Practice my Sindarin, you understand. Although I'm sure Eldon was making fun of my accent last time.' "'Rivendell!' Frodo took a step forward out from underneath Bilbo's arm his large blue eyes wide. Do you think I will ever see it? Thorin folded his arms and glared at the back of the boy's head. Bilbo laughed, tugging Frodo away. Perhaps, perhaps. For the meantime, I'd much prefer to see the kettle boiling. Thorin watched Bilbo putter around his kitchen as the boy studied the picture further. Forty-eight years after the Battle of Five Armies, and Bilbo had not aged very much at all. His hair had turned flyaway and grayish, but it was still as full and curly as ever, and his face was a little lined, but not parchment-thin, spotted, or soft with the passage of time. He was still quite sprightly, especially for a hobbit that was fast approaching a hundred years old. "'There's muffins in the pantry, Frodo,' Bilbo called to the lad in the hallway, and the boy blinked, shaking himself out of his fascination with the blasted, cursed elf sanctuary. "'Yes, Uncle Bilbo,' Frodo said with one last long look at Rivendell, before racing down the corridor. Thorin's lips parted on a soft breath of surprise. Then he braided himself for an idiot and a fool. An uncle, he turned to Bilbo. I didn't know you had siblings. How could I not know that about you? He was a little disconcerted. 
Florian wanted to know everything about Bilbo. Everything. He could not fulfill its promise otherwise. Bilbo hummed under his breath as he put together the table, pulling milk and sugar out of his cold store and taking down a jar of biscuits. Then he leaned on his kitchen table. The veneer of energy washed away, and Thorin could see just how tired his hobbit looked. It's the right thing to do, Bilbo said to himself, and he touched the second place setting with a gentle forefinger, a pensive little smile crossing his lips. Poor lad, he was lost amongst all those hooligan brandy bucks. He's an adventuresome and clever young hobbit, and he deserves better than to be all on his own in the middle of a crowd. My cousins would want me to provide for him, and who better to inherit this old place? A cousin, then, Thorin murmured, and then he smiled, and confusion to the sackful bagginses. Bilbo's smile widened, and he dropped his head and snickered against his chest. Ha! Lobelia will beat me about the head with her umbrella when she hears the news. The blueberry muffins, Uncle Bilbo, came a shout from the hallway. That's right, Bilbo shook himself out of his reverie. And if you wouldn't mind, do pick up a cheese and perhaps some of the raspberry preserves. I have some lovely bread from Michael Delving, and I think we should make a little party of it, don't you? We can celebrate you coming to live with me. Frodo returned with his arms laden, and the two hobbits set their foot out as the kettle began to whistle. Thorin covered over Bilbo's shoulder, watching as his little knife sliced through tomatoes and pickles with practiced ease. He had long grown used to seeing Bilbo's proficiency in the kitchen, though it never failed to make his mouth quirk. Why was one blade so different to another? Perhaps he should have suggested that the burglar dice his enemies. There! Bilbo brought over the tomatoes and pickles along with a little dollop of relish in the cheese. Quite a feast, shall we? Proto carefully wrapped a potholder around his hand and brought over the kettle, and Bilbo lifted the teapot lid for him to add the water. Then the two of them settled in, and Thorin resigned himself to waiting. Nothing interrupted a hobbit at mealtimes. Eventually, Bilbo pushed his plate back and sighed in contentment. Thorin was pleased to see that he had eaten more this time than he had previously. For a hobbit, Bilbo had remained strangely thin and his appetite had never quite recovered after his adventure. Now, Frodo lad, he said, picking up his cup of tea, I'm not going to insist on any sort of rules or anything silly like that. At twenty-one, you're quite old enough to decide for yourself what you want to do, and you're a sensible sort. Besides, as I said, I'm rather odd and old and set my ways. We'll sort it out as we go. What do you say? Frodo's blue eyes lifted from his plate, his mouth full. He swallowed hurriedly. Yes, Uncle Bilbo. Good lad. I'm sure we'll be able to make room for each other's little peculiarities. I do have a few requests, if that is all right. Um, yes? Frodo looked slightly lost, and Thorin realized that the boy wasn't used to having his opinion sought after. He folded his arms with a grunt of approval. Bilbo would be good for him. Eat whenever you're hungry, and don't bother with permission. You're welcome to any rooms in the smile, and you and your friends may explore as much as you like. Only, if I'm in my study, please try to keep the noise to a dull roar, and don't mess up the order of the papers on my desk. I know it looks like pandemonium, but it's actually a very careful system. I know where everything is, and everything is where I want it. Um, oh yes, rummage about as much as you like. I've got lots of curious little things from my travels. Most of them have a story attached, and I'm not shy about telling them, so come and ask. I dare say I have too many belongings, so if you break anything, you'll be doing me a great favor. If you'd like to read anything, don't hesitate. Any of the books are yours to go through. I have some lovely books, you know. I saw, Proto said, fidgeting with a tablecloth. Most of them are in Elvish. Bobo blinked, the teacup halfway to his mouth. Then he put it down in the saucer with a click. Bless me, of course, you can't read Elvish, can you? Well, would you like to? Frodo's eyes widened to impossible size, and then he nodded quickly. Oh, yes, please. Thorin made a thoroughly irritated noise under his breath. Ah, Kuthus, he growled and gritted his teeth. Bilbo raised an eyebrow. 
If I were able, I'd teach you more than just in that intro, lad. I'm afraid my Quenya is rather shoddy, and I never learned more than a few words of Kustul, mostly swearing, which is unfortunate. What's Kus? Frodo looked odd. Kustul, Bilbo corrected him, the secret language of the dwarves. Don't let them know I know. Frodo laughed delightedly. Uncle Bilbo, when will I ever get to meet a dwarf? I'm just a hobbit. Frodo sobered quickly, and he put his hand over Frodo's. Frodo Baggins, he said, his face very, very serious. There's no such thing as just a hobbit. Oh, you know, Frodo said, and squirmed uncomfortably at Bilbo's sudden piercing attention. I'm just Frodo. I'm not anyone special. Bilbo squeezed Frodo's hand sharply. My dear lad, he said solemnly, I'm just Bilbo Baggins, and Bilbo Baggins is just a hobbit. And I'm telling you right now, Frodo, my boy, that there's more to hobbits than anyone ever expects. Florian smiled to himself. Even stubborn, blind, arrogant dwarves. Even idiots with their great heads stuffed firmly up their backsides, added Bilbo, his mouth twitching. Thorin started in surprise, and then shook his head, laughing softly beneath his breath. Blasted creature! How he wished! Oh, how he wished! His arms ached to hold the infuriating little burglar. He wanted to touch Bilbo's curly hair, and to feel those nimble little hands against the nape of his neck. He longed to kiss that quick and clever mouth, to nip that sharp tongue with his teeth. Blasted, ridiculous, absurd hobbit! I dare say you'll know plenty of folk who will tell you otherwise, Bilbo continued. Ignore them. You can meet wizards and elves and men and perhaps even dwarves if you want to, and never mind what the narrow-minded have to say. The world is very big and full of wonderful things, Frodo lad, and we are very small. But small can make a big difference, I have found. So keep that head high. You are a fine hobbit, and that is no bad thing to be. Bilbo patted Frodo's hand once more, and then sipped his tea. Oh, drat, it's cold. Well, that will teach me to wax philosophical during elevencies. I must remember not to do it again. Both Frodo and Thorin laughed, and Bilbo smiled at the boy. Pleased he had made him more cheerful. You'll forget, Thorin told him fondly. Fine, so I may forget, Bilbo conceded. I'm old. I'm allowed a little forgetfulness here and there. You're not that old, are you, uncle? Frodo asked. Old enough, and I'll thank you not to ask cheeky questions. And if you please, great maker... I'd be personally obliged if you'd see your way to having a hobbit live here in the halls. He's a nice hobbit, and he doesn't smell or anything. I told you about him last time, and the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that. I recall. He doesn't take up any room hardly at all, and he's got nice hair, and he has even less beard than me. Frankly, we could do with a few more clean-shaven fellows around to make me feel better. Why did you make me with such a bare face? It's so embarrassing. If I gave you a beard, would you leave me alone? Oh, oh, a difficult choice. No, no, Uncle Thorin first. I'm a loyal dwarl, and he deserves to be happy. I hope he knows what a supreme sacrifice I'm making for him. Names the nameless hills and dells He drank from yet untasted wells He stooped and looked in Upon a silver thread above the shadows of his head. And this is the translation key. Kus tada bichebi ai siti mut oshmaki di zurkur ukfashahu. A dwarf that chooses to take a wife must garter as his greatest treasure. Kuthus, elves, 
Azagi, little warrior. Ikus, stop. Namadi, little sister. Nidoi, boy. Midoel, boy of all boys. Inudoi, son. Adadel, father of all fathers. Gimli, star. Gimlin, saram, starpool. Kus, belkul, maridorf. Tash, move, 